Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the View from the Bridge podcast, um, a debut show from Football.London. I'm Scott Trotter, one of three Chelsea writers who will be coming to you each and every week to discuss the latest goings on from Stamford Bridge. Today, I'm joined by Chief Chelsea Correspondent Adam Neeson. How are you doing, Adam? I'm good, thank you. Very excited about this new audio platform of podcasting. <laughs> and how are you, Bobby? Are you equally excited? I am so buzzing. We, we've been wanting to do it for a while, to be fair, so... It's good that we can um, we can sit down and talk about Chelsea because there there's a lot going on all of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly been a long time coming, and it's been a busy old season for Chelsea so far. We've obviously had a summer takeover, a six hundred million pounds worth of transfers, a change in manager. Chelsea sitting ninth in the table, but with a world and uh, a world record sign, a Premier League record signing in the shape of Enzo Fernandez. So how are we looking at for the rest of the season? I think we'll go to you first, Adam, and just kind of how do you see Chelsea at the moment and what did you make of the transfer window? Was busy um, from a, a work perspective and from a Chelsea perspective. Um, really what Chelsea have done is probably about three transfer windows worth of work in a space of 31 days. Um and uh, for that, you know, you have to give some credit to the likes of Todd Bowley and Badadig Bali for getting these deals done because it's never easy, especially in January, to do that level of, of business. But you look at how they've managed to maybe not regenerate the squad because I think you'd have to have moved a few more out to have done that, but uh, added to what was already there. Um, it's very impressive. And, and you look at the... the the age profile of these players, the potential of these players, there is a lot of optimism that Chelsea have now got the core of, of their squad for the next four, five years. Um, so, yeah, the transfer win on the whole was a very positive one. I think we've already seen the impact of, of Benoit Badia-Shiel. I think we'll see Mikhailo Mudrik really step up in the next few weeks as he gets fitter. Obviously, Enzo Fernandez's debut was, was solid and he'll continue to improve. Um Noni Maduake off the bench as well was good um, against Fulham. Um, and there's a lot of players, of course, who we, we are going to see more of um, in the sort of seasons ahead. I mean, Andre Santos looks an absolute steal for what they've got him for. I mean, you know, I think that's going to be one that, that really does prove an astute buy for Chelsea going forward. And, and we'll see how the likes of, you know, David Datro Fafana and, um, and Gagas Lanina there's a lot of exciting potential in this squad um, and, you know, below that. Um, and we're going to see how that all comes to fruition in, in the years ahead. So, so a very good transfer window. Still work to be done in the summer. I mean, Chelsea are still not finished in terms of this squad regeneration, but you, you can't 
look at the window just from a you know maybe remove the finances of course the finances you know you can argue Chelsea maybe ever spent the points but you look at the profile of player they brought and, and the potential of those that they brought in and it, it is an exciting window and it, it does give a lot of hope for the rest of the season and, and do you think it's been a success Bobby and maybe who you're most excited by um from who the club have brought in it's hard to, it's hard to say if um it's been a success yet obviously we need to we see how these players do, but from the um, from just the, from right now, you look at it and Chelsea. I think going into January, the two positions they really needed to um, get were was a new right back to provide support to Reese James, who we we know has obviously struggled with um, injuries over the past couple of seasons, and of course the central midfielder. And they've done that. They got uh, Malo Gusto, who's obviously not joining yet, but. He's one who's going to come at the end of the season after his loan spell at Lyon. And he's one who's viewed by the club as a very exciting um, young talent who can potentially develop into one of the, the world's best in his position. And it'll be really interesting to see how he gets on, obviously, with the whole uh, Reese dynamic and him being as good as he is, Reese James, and whether or not that will um, block Gusto's development, essentially. Or if he, or on the other side, he can learn from Reese James and how good he is, and it is um, might even progress even more. So yeah, that's an interesting one. And yeah, Enzo Fernandez for the central midfielder. Um, obviously, he was the he was the player Chelsea wanted from the start of the month. Even before that, he's the uh, player Chelsea supporters wanted. He's the main one. He was the main talking point, and they got him. And like Adam said, solid debut against Fulham. Um, some nice touches. He looked very he looked very composed. He, he looked like he slots straight into the team and he'll continue to get better. And I think we'll I think we'll see more of an impact from him as um, the season goes on. But apart from that, I mean, there, there's some very exciting signings which, which were almost seen as bonuses from what they needed with centre midfielder and right back. You got Mudrick, who at one stage no one expected because he looked set, set on Arsenal. Um, so that was nice for a couple of reasons. Obviously, Chelsea's stealing someone off, off of Arsenal's um, toes, essentially. That was nice for the Chelsea fans, and obviously Mudrick is this really exciting talent who is gonna. I think he's gonna take some time for a number of reasons. It's obviously moving from Ukraine to England is a whole new lifestyle. Um, the fact he hasn't played much football in recent months because of the way the Ukrainian league has worked. Um, but yeah, he's one that is gonna be exciting for sure. And I, I mean, he didn't necessarily do too much against Fulham, but um, Potter said he was unwell, so. That's maybe the reason, but in his um, brief cameo at Anfield a couple of weeks ago, however long ago it was, we, we saw the sort of things he can do and what we what we might expect from him. And then similarly, I think you got Madueke on the other side, who just looks like a really exciting footballer. And I think I think essentially when when you just nail it down, I think that is what football's about. You you want these exciting footballers um, running at defenders, these attacking players with speed and skill and to use a to use a cliche is the sort of footballer who get a fan off their seat, and I think that's what it's about. And that Chelsea have been spoken about so much recently by people, famous people on TV, pundits. You know, Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher come to mind, and they've been criticised for how much they've spent. And but look, if you're a Chelsea fan, which the majority of people listening to this will be. Um, I think it's an exciting time. I think it's really exciting. It's what you want. It's you. Nothing excites a fan more than a transfer, rightly or wrongly. 
that is how it works. We know that in our job. And the last month or so now has just been a really exciting time for Chelsea fans. And one that they needed because I think fans were beginning to turn on Graham Potter, even though he hasn't been there for any time at all, really. Um, but it's sort of taken the spotlight, spotlight off of him a bit with all these new sign-ins. And yeah, I, it's definitely an exciting one, whether or not it's a successful one. I mean, we probably won't know that for another for another year at least because they're all, they're all such young players and none of them, not many of them at all have been signed. Um, well, most of them have been signed with the um, vision of the next 10 years or so. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think, Adam, something you touched on earlier is the work of Bedag Obali and Todd Bowley. Um, obviously, that first transfer window, we saw lots played out in public in some ways, particularly with Barcelona. This time with Mudrik and Fernandez, um, things have a bit more, well, I was going to say done and dusted, maybe not with Fernandez. That was a bit more on and off again with uh, Rui Costa's input, but... We've seen some decisive action in January, I would say, and we've seen that the recruitment team was starting to fall in place during those winter months. Obviously, Paul and Stanley and Christopher Bell were in place, and more latterly, after the transfer window, we've seen Lawrence Stewart and Joe Shields added as well. What is the kind of state of play with that recruitment team, and how much involvement should we continue to expect from the likes of Egg Barley and Bowley? I think you look at... The summer transfer window, you have to probably put it in isolation, really, because of the situation that, that Todd Bowley and, and Bedadi Bali inherited. I mean, they completed the the takeover of the of the club. I think it was late May, early June, um, and ultimately they they had to get to work straight away on on re, sort of replenishing positions. I mean, you look at Andreas Christensen and, and Antonio Rudiger, both had agreed to move away. That needed immediate work. Um, they were trying to work with Thomas Tuchel and, and sort of lean on his experience and expertise, which wasn't the wrong thing to do, in my opinion. Um, of course, you know, Tuchel is a, a very smart guy. Um, but, you know, that they realised during that process that maybe that maybe Thomas Tuchel wasn't going to be the guy that they wanted to work with. And, and they tried to pivot more towards signing players, you know, like, like Mark Cucurella with, with younger players with... Uh, potentially more of an upside longer term, Carney Chukwameka um, as well. So you, you you sort of look at that window and you can see it in two halves. Um, credit to, to, to Bowley and Igbali. I mean, they probably could have brought in recruitment specialists very quickly, but they decided to take their time. They wanted to get who they felt were the right people. They wanted to get a head coach who they felt was the right person for, for their longer term vision as well. So... You get to January and it's a very different Chelsea. It's a very different recruitment model. It's a very different club, basically. Um, a lot of work has been done behind the scenes to, to restructure things. The recruitment team that's in place now, um, as you mentioned, the four that are in, um, in terms of Christopher Vavell, uh, Paul Wynn Stanley, Lawrence Stewart and Joe Shields, who are now all at the club and working. They are going to be very important going forward, of course, and in terms of building out the recruitment department and and guiding Chelsea through. Uh, Carl McCauley's also an important voice in that room. Um, he knows Graham Potter. Graham Potter trusts him implicitly. So he's still going to have quite a big say going forward. And, and look, Graham Potter isn't going to be the loudest and most, you know, crucial voice in the room when it comes to recruitment. Of course, he's going to be consulted and listened to. 
um, and he'll know about every player that's arriving. You know, that there's not going to be a surprise for him. Um, but it's a very well-rounded recruitment team, different specialties in, in different areas. That will help Chelsea going forward. It will help as they look to build out the multi-club model in sort of the months and years ahead. And it's a good position to be in. And, and Chelsea for a long time, um, you know, not not particularly wanting to knock what was the structure under Roman Abramovich, but it was far more um, streamlined, I guess, or maybe not even streamlined, but there, there were fewer people in the room, um, rightly or wrongly. And, you know, Chelsea didn't always get transfer decisions right. And, you know, the new ownership won't always get transfer decisions right either, but there is a far more structured process to how Chelsea will recruit with the, the team that's in place, with Graham Potter, with Carl McCauley. Um, I think Bidadig Bali and Todd Bowley will still have some influence. Um, I mean, it's their money at the end of the day that is going to be spent. Um, I think probably quite a big thing in, in January was just how how much Bidadig Bali took took centre stage. We obviously saw Todd Bowley in the summer leading a lot of negotiations. In January, it was more to, uh, it was more Bededa Bali who was involved in things. It was him who flew out to Turkey to, to help get the Mudrick deal over the line. It was him who was on the phone to to Benfica and Rui Costa trying to get the, the Fernandez deal done. So there's been a bit of a shift in that respect of who is more heavily involved and, and Todd Bowley's got a lot of other business interests, as to be fair, does Bededa Bali. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes forward. But... Um, you know, the, 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 it's it's more likely than not, I would say, that you see the recruitment team really start to get to work and, and lead strategy and and negotiations. But it would be fanciful, I think, to think to, to believe Todd Bowley and Badag Bali are going to have completely no sort of say, or, or maybe not say, but have no interest in what's going on. They're still going to want to be kept updated. They're still going to be involved in the day to day and know what's going on. Yeah, great meal, wonderful food. Um... But that business probably isn't going to be finished by any stretch of the imagination either. Obviously, what is it, eight signings in January, just about. Um, Bobby, you mentioned about Malagusto coming in the summer. Um, but already we also seen preparation, was it in October or something like that, that Christopher Unkunku could be heading to Stamford Bridge as well. Um, what is next for Chelsea in the transfer window? Although there's, of course, a, a Premier League season before then. Yeah, I know. It's that's how football is, isn't it? As soon as the transfer window shuts, you're already sort of thinking about when the next one opens and um, what your club's going to do. And yeah, Chelsea, just because they've signed eight players in January, I do not expect it to be a quiet summer by any stretch. Um, perhaps quieter than last summer and less signings in January, maybe. But again, you wouldn't rule it out. Um, yeah, you mentioned Nkunku. Like from what we know, he's He's signed the um, like pre-contract agreement, and he will join in at the end of the season. Um, some fans are confused to why that wasn't hasn't hasn't been announced by the club yet. But and I, I couldn't tell you for sure, but I, I'd imagine it's it's a different deal to Gusto um, because Gusto is now a Chelsea player and he's been loaned back, whereas um, Nkunku was still a Leipzig player, basically. Um, and then there's the obvious ones. Uh, you've got Declan Rice, who isn't gonna isn't gonna go away, even though Arsenal are now said to be front runners for a signature. Like Chelsea have had such an interest in him for so long now, it feels like an eternity. And that I don't I don't think there's a world where Chelsea just let Arsenal sign him very 
straightforward. I I don't think Chelsea's um, Declan Rice saga is over, so to speak. Um, and then you've got you you've got other midfielders because Chelsea do need another midfielder. Like with Enzo Fernandez, he's come in and he is an improvement on what the club have got. But the fact we saw Jorginho leave as well, and then you've got Kante as well, who's I mean, we, we don't know whether or not he will sign a new contract, but at the moment he's only got a few months left and he could easily leave for a free in the summer. And then you've got the likes of Conor Gallagher, who was linked with um, moves, a move away towards the end of the window. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, whose future just never seems to be certain. Um, so, yeah, you've got players like that. And obviously Dennis Zachariah, who's on loan. So at the moment we'll be going back to Juventus, whether or not Chelsea exercise the option to buy him. We'll have to wait and see. But... So you've got all these midfielders who could be leaving and you want to improve on it anyway, regardless if they stay. So someone like Declan Rice is looks like, you know, the guy Chelsea would go to or, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Jude Bellingham, of course. But he's got he's got an unbelievable amount of clubs after him. Same with Rice. So it, it's just it's just whether or not Chelsea want to get involved in a bidding war for these players. But I, I, I fully, fully imagine that Chelsea will be in for a central midfielder, and they'll want to they'll want to build around Enzo Fernandez now. So if they can get if they can get the ideal partner to him, whether that's Rice, Bellingham, another name, and then that could be theoretically their midfield sorted for the next up to ten years if it, if he's a, if he's a young lad like Enzo. So yeah, I imagine that we'll see in Kunku most likely, <clears throat> and then you have the returning Gusto, and there's also the goalkeeper situation as well. I mean. Kepa's done well, you'd say, in Mendy since coming back from Mendy, um, since replacing Mendy, sorry. But there's still been the mistakes we associated with him. We've seen them a couple of times. So we we don't know whether or not um, Chelsea will upgrade, but there's always been talk of uh, wanting a new goalkeeper. And you could see the likes of Edouard Mendy leave the club if he doesn't get his place back between now and the end of the season. So, yeah, I mean... Even though Chelsea have done this massive rebuild over the last two windows with, what, like 15, 16 players coming in, I don't actually know. Um, there's still, there still seems to be like a lot of things that um, the club need to sort out in the squad. So, I mean, to ask me what to expect, it, it's a difficult question to answer for sure. But, I mean, plain and simply, I expect another busy window. I don't know what you think, Adam. Sorry. I think we will see them go after another goalkeeper. I think there are obviously still concerns about Edu Mendy's form at the moment. And he's still out for some time. Kepa has done well this season, but probably isn't uh, reliable enough to be a, the absolute top-level goalkeeper Chelsea want. So a decision will be made there. Um, obviously, there's hope Thiago Silva signs a new contract, so, so that will take up a, a key defensive spot. There will be a decision made, I believe, by Colwell because... He's injured at the moment, but he did come into the Brighton team and look very good. And I know he is a player that the hierarchy at Chelsea now do have absolute high hopes for and believe he can come into the squad next season. It's going to probably be a case of convincing him uh, more than anything that there is a place for him in this squad. Um, of course, if you've got Thiago Silva, if you've got Benoit Badia-Shield, who, who's a left-footed centre-back like Levi Colwell, you've still got Trevor Chalaber, Wesley Fofana. 
um, and of course Kali do Kulabali. There's a lot of competition there, so the challenge is to convince Levi Cole that there is a, a role for him in this squad and there's an avenue for him to play first-team football. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens at left-back with Ian Matson. Um, he's having a very good loan at Burnley. You could probably incorporate, I mean, you could incorporate him into the first team. I'm sure there'll be interest in him in the summer and, and look, Chelsea do have to raise some money at some point through player sales. It's 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 the reality of, of the spending that they've done. Ian Matson is a sellable asset. Um, but you look at the left-back situation, Ben Chilwell has spent the best part of a year on the sideline due to different injuries. Mark Cucurella has struggled so far. Um, there's been a few good outings. There's been a probably a few more not good outings. Um, so that is an area that I'm sure look at again. But um, so, yeah, left back's an interesting one. So you mentioned right back with Melo Gusto coming very much strengthened that position. What Chelsea do with Cesar Azpilicueta, he'll have another year left. Whether or not he will want to see out that year, if he's not a first team regular, is probably the decision he has to make. And I think Chelsea will be quite accommodating to that decision. Um, I'm just working my way forward. Um, midfield wise, yeah, look, Chelsea are still interested in, in Declan Rice. The feeling is uh, that Arsenal have done a lot of good groundwork. Chelsea won't give up on him, though, of course. Um, and, you know, a Rice Fernandez partnership in in a two is is quite nice I mean it's well balanced um rice can do a lot of of the more defensive work and that's probably what Chelsea need because yes Enzo Fernandez played as a six against Fulham but I think you want him a little bit further up the pitch you don't want him having to take the ball off the center backs of course he can do that from time to time but ideally you want him linking the the play further up the pitch um as you said Bobby I mean there are big decisions I mean look Mateo Kovacic will have two years left um, uh, in the summer. From you know, from what I gather, you know that is going to be that two-year marker is going to be an important one for the ownership going forward. They will probably make decisions because they don't want to have a repeat of the Jorginho situation, the Kante situation, the Rudiger situation, the Christensen situation. They don't want to be losing players for nothing, which is completely understandable, especially when you're spending money. So there'll be a decision to make over Kovacic. There'll be a decision to make over Gallagher, over Mason Mount, of course, who, as things stand, hasn't signed a new deal and, and will only have a year left. So, again, midfield could be a position that does seem a fair amount of turnover, um, depending on how things play out over the next few sort of weeks and months. Um, similar situation for Christian Pulisic. I think he'll only have a year. Um, so, again, that's another decision that has to be made. Hakim Ziyech, we know that Chelsea were willing to let him leave. Pierre-Emerick Kabamyang's futures, um, especially long-term future, is uncertain. Um, so there's still going to be huge, huge decisions to make over this squad. Different players within it, who to keep, who to let move on, who to bring in to replenish. And if you thought the 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 heavy work had been done so far, I mean, yes, to a degree, but going forward, there are going to be still big decisions to be made and, and probably a lot more turnover. And you can get into the debate, I think, about whether or not that's a good thing for Graham Potter going forward. I'm sure he'd love to have a settled squad and a, and a group of players. Um, but the flip side is it's very exciting. I mean, we live in a world of of football fandom when transfers are, are, are arguably more, interested in, more interesting than what happens on the pitch to a lot of people. Um, I probably wouldn't put myself in that category, but there's definitely this feeling that, you know, you can quote-unquote win a transfer window, which mm. is somewhat of a nonsense because you don't really know until players have played for you for about a year if that's the case but um 
But yeah, it's going to be another busy summer. I think there's going to be a lot of big decisions, a lot of a lot of turnover. Um, and I think you you will start next season, and Chelsea will start next season with a far greater identity in terms of what they are going to be as a team going forward. Um, you have, unless something very bizarre happens, you'll have Graham Potter in charge. He'll have had finally a pre-season. He will have a far more settled in terms of of a core group to work with, um, and then. Hopefully Chelsea get back to the position where they want to be in the Premier League. Whether or not they'll be in the Champions League is probably another another talking point. I think it's sorry, Scott. But I think it's interesting as well. Um, like the younger players, like Lewis Hall, Chukwemeka, um, Amari Hutchinson, what they do with them. Because if Chelsea are going to continue to sign this many players every window, I'm not saying they, I'm not saying they will, but like indications are that they probably will have another busy summer. Then it's gonna it's gonna affect them. Of course, it is. Like Hutchinson was meant to go on loan uh, to West Brom towards the end of the window, but that never happened. So now he's in a situation where he's too good for the level he's playing at with a development squad. But he hasn't. He's not realistically going to get into the Chelsea squad now because they've got Madueke and Mudrick and Felix who have all come in. Um, so I think if Chelsea are going to eye any more attackers, I'm not not going to. And obviously, you got. What Adam said about Pulisic and Ziyech potentially leaving, maybe Aubameyang. Um, they probably will end up signing replacements for these, and it, it's players like Hutchinson who get affected by this. And again, you can link it back to Lewis Hall. He's played played left back, um, but he's naturally a central midfielder. Um, if Ian Matson comes back, uh, then what, what does that mean for Lewis Hall? Who's you know it, he's not gonna he's not gonna be the first name on the team sheet in the centre midfield, especially. Now Enzo Fernandez has come in and Chelsea are looking to sign another midfielder in the summer and obviously you've got Andre Santos and then, yeah, like Chukumeka as well. So I, I just think I, I'm interested to see what sort of approach the club take to this because Todd Bowley's made it very clear since he's come in that he's looking to work for the academy, that Chelsea have got a great academy, they have done for years and um, it'd be interesting to see if you can find the right balance and these younger players or whether or not loan spells out to wherever, if it's whether that's in England, Spain, you know, whether or not that's more of a, a pressure. This, this is the idea of having a good recruitment team and actually squad building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know what route you're taking with your squad. You know who is someone you want to work with for the next season or, or the season after that. There's a more of a joined up thinking to it. And You'd like to think that at this point, Chelsea already know what they'd like to ideally would do with Lewis Hall next season. They, they already ideally know what they want to do with Amari Hutchinson. Um, and it's whether or not that, that all, all that is joined up at the moment, because um, that's a challenge. Because as you say, I, you know, I forgot to mention, you know, Andre Santos in, in this midfield shakeup and Chukwemeka. And this is what you would hope that the recruitment team already know they already know that next season we will go into next season with x y and z in this position we'll go into next season with the similar you know they will know from position to position where they ideally want to go to and then from then you can make decisions about who stays and who goes and i think that's the the hope of this recruitment team is that you can work a season ahead maybe even two seasons ahead to know where the squad will be at the start of the 23-24 season and then you'll have an idea at least where the squad will be at the 24-25 season and then your your strategy and your recruitment from that is is far more effective because you already know where you're going rather than reacting. And as you say, that's that will be the big challenge. Um, but that's how well-run clubs handle their business. I mean, you know, it is 
it's the lazy comparison. It's the easy comparison now to say Brighton, but you look at how Brighton, you know, handle their their business. They are constantly bringing in players. They are ready for player sales. They accept that players will move on, and when that happens, they already have somebody ready to step in. Um, and we know that the Chelsea ownership admire Brighton's work. We know they admire Arsenal's work in the sense of developing a young core around a coach. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that. They are very, there are going to be a lot of questions around the younger players, but you'd like to think at this point there are somewhat or at least partly formed answers to those questions already as to what happens to these guys. Because otherwise you are going back to the world of Chelsea react, being very reactive in the transfer market, and that is something they want to get away from. Yeah, I think that's what's going to make the clear out in quotation marks as some are super important as well. Um, and it might leave some of those kind of players with 2024 20, contracts a bit more vulnerable than the likes of Loftus-Cheek, Kovacic, Pulisic, maybe even Mount Aspilicueta. But I think one who's kind of left in maybe not so much an interesting position, but you would expect his future to be resolved in some way in the summer is perhaps Callum Hudson-Odoi as well. Um, when you talk about that future plan and he was only allowed to go out on loan um, this season to, to buy a Leverkusen. Um, I think that's shown some promise, maybe slowed down a bit recently, but now Chelsea have signed Mudrick, Madweke. Obviously, Pulisic and Ziyech are still at the club for the moment, whether that's true in the summer. Um, what do you think of his situation, Adam, um, I guess, first? And what do you think he's thought of this January window? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he's looked at it with intrigue. Um, obviously, with Callum, he was such a high potential player. I mean, if you watched him at academy level, uh, as I did, he was the sort of nailed on, if this guy doesn't make it at Chelsea, no academy graduate will make it at Chelsea. Um, it's unfortunate, of course, with with the Achilles injury he suffered. And, you know, for all his prodigious talent at youth level, there is still that big jump to make to senior football. And, and there are some players who just haven't been able to make that. I think... So I think Callum's injury has has really impacted him. He's admitted he had to learn a new running style, and and that's a big thing for any player, um, especially then having to regain trust in your body. Um, has this loan spell probably gone as well as he wanted? Probably not. I mean, he's got lots of minutes so far, but he hasn't maybe got the goals and the assists that he'd ideally like. Um, he's obviously watched a lot of players come in in January. The big issue for him, I think, is that he he's his salary that he negotiated was obviously with the previous regime at Chelsea, and he is earning more money than people like Madrid, um, despite the fact that Madrid came on a big wages. Um, and rebalancing the wage structure is something that the ownership are doing. Um, you know, you, you look at the fact Madrid isn't being paid, I think he's slightly under a hundred thousand pounds a week. Enzo Fernandez is not on you know crazy money. None of the guys brought in so far had been given absolutely mad contracts. I mean, the exception to that maybe being Raheem Sterling, who who I believe is Chelsea's top earner, who came in in the summer, um, and Khalidou Koulibaly's got, got a big deal. But I think you, you look at those, as I said earlier, you have to take that transfer window, especially the first half of that transfer window, in isolation because they were working to uh, Thomas Tuchel's ideals at that point before enforcing their own ideals. So... If you look at Callum, his position, I think he's officially got one year left in the summer. Um, 
I've heard there may be an option to extend that for a further year. Um, not had that 100% confirmed, but um, Chelsea, I think, will want to make a decision on him. I think he will want probably a decision to be made one way or the other. You look at the players that are brought in, it's difficult to see Callum getting minutes next season without being a squad player yet again. And, and for him in his own career, he's had that squad role for far too long. Um, he does need to go out, no, no matter the level. If it's a if it's a sort of a club outside a big six or, or you know a foreign, you know a Bundesliga club or or the like, somewhere where he gets regular minutes, where he can sort of begin to to form his game at senior level, he can have that trust in his body, is going to be the most important thing. So I imagine the decision will be taken one way or the other. As I said, though, the, the tricky thing will be the wages because he is on he's on big money for the sort of role he has at the moment. So, yeah, um, that will be certainly interesting to see how that pans out. And I guess a lot of interesting things still to develop for the remainder of the season, perhaps more notably than anything else, where Chelsea will actually finish. They are currently ninth, 10 points behind fourth place Newcastle United. Um, so speaking before this weekend's game. They are obviously still in the Champions League, but knocked out of the domestic competitions thanks to, I guess, scheduling against Manchester City more than anything. Um, I've got a sneaky feeling Chelsea could do all right in the Champions League. I know not everybody will agree with that, but what what do you foresee for the rest of the season? And can can they still make top four, Bobby? Uh, Yeah, I mean, they can. Um, It's obviously going to be hard. But... Let me. How many points have I off top for at the moment? I should have done my research. Nine, Nine points. Um, yeah, that is hard, obviously. But I mean, what what Chelsea probably can be encouraged by is, despite them dropping points, everyone around them seems to be dropping points as well. So if the big if, if Chelsea can sort of um, build some momentum and build some form, um, then there's no reason why they couldn't. It, it's going to be really difficult. And with all these new players coming in, it's, it's never going to gel straight away. We we saw that at 10 points at Asia, yeah, actually. Um, so even more. But yeah, we, it's going to be hard to gel. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen overnight. And we saw against Fulham, despite all the talent they had on the pitch with all the money they spent, it there was still something missing and that's to be expected um, this early on. But if, if they can sort of find some rhythm together, then these are really exciting attacking players, then it's going to be a really exciting end to the season. And like you said, I think Champions League is um, an interesting one. It's a re- really exciting tie against um, Dortmund because obviously Chelsea and Dortmund don't have history together at all. So it's a nice change for um, Chelsea supporters and I'm sure Dortmund supporters. So that'll be really interesting to see how Chelsea can get on and how Graham Potter can um, lead his team and sort of unknown territory for him um but i think i think the most important thing is without without saying getting top four because at the moment it does look unrealistic i think the most important thing is these new players just need time to bed in essentially that all of them come from different countries so that they're all sort of um adopting a new lifestyle with the exception of Madawiki, obviously who is English, but spent time in Holland. So they all need time to settle in at Chelsea, they need time to settle in with their teammates, their new coaches. It's it's a it's a completely new look club at the moment. So even the 
even the senior players, your um, Asper Equators, Reese James, Loftus Cheek, those sort of players, that they need time to sort of settle in as well because they've got people around them who they don't know really, and so it will take some time to get used to. And I think, I think for Chelsea, without writing this season off as a whole because that that's just not how football works, it's not how clubs work. I know, but I think it's more important to be ready for next season, have a really good preseason, do your business try to do your business early on in the summer so it doesn't go down to the wire like it did in January. Um, but yeah, and then there's obviously there's obviously keeping players fit. You know, Ben Chilwell, Rhys James both really struggle with injuries and they're two of Chelsea's most important players and you see that when they're out the side. There's, there's, they're not, nowhere near the same side when those two are not um, down right back and left back. So... If them two can stay fit, fingers crossed, I think that's a really big positive for Chelsea. And I think bringing N'Golo Kante back, sort of bedding him into the side and trying to sort out his contract situation, whether that's letting him leave or extending it. And then, so I think there's a lot of the, I think there's a lot of things off the field as well that Chelsea would like to do before the end of the season. Um, Adam mentioned Mason Mount. And then you've got the others like Kovacic and Pulisic. So, but I think, again, without disregarding the season, because there is still a lot to play for. And I mean, the Champions League is a fantastic opportunity and it may be Chelsea's most realistic way of actually qualifying for next season's Champions League. But I think I think focus, I think I'll have one eye on next season already. Do you agree, Adam? To an extent, um, I think Graham Potter's spoken about this. You know, he, he's been asked a lot about the top four and his response has always been along the lines of there's no point in me looking at four months in the future. I need to focus on the here and now. Um, I need to focus on trying to win games and it's cliche and it's maybe not what fans want to hear, but it is a case of taking it step by step and it is important to get the injured players back. It is important to bed in the new signings. And then from there on, you know, you start to work on the identity of the team. You start to build partnerships within that team. You start to understand which players will be at the club in terms of, of longer term, who fits in with Graham Potter's football. And within that, of course, you want to be then winning games. And if you can do that, look, I mean, anything's possible. Um, it would be naive to rule off Chelsea going on a six, seven game winning run. I mean, they've got the quality in the team to do that. Um it hasn't necessarily been shown enough over the last few months, but the quality is there. Um, then who knows? But for me, I mean, it's the Champions League. Like, you, 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 seven games, you can get, to, you can win a competition in seven matches. And for all Chelsea's faults this season, I mean, that they're very capable of, of winning games. Um, and they proved in the group stage. They, they, you know, they they came up against Milan, Syria champions who. No, I appreciate maybe aren't having their best season now, but um, but they dispatched them quite comfortably. Away at Salzburg was arguably the standout performance under Graham Potter. Um, you know, Chelsea were very, very good in that game. Um, so, yeah, the Champions League is the one for me because I think if you can get past Borussia Dortmund, and that is in itself a challenge, of course, um, you'd like to think N'Golo Kante's back. You'd like to think he stays fit. I think Reese James stays fit, Ben Chilwell stays fit. You'd like to think they can bed in the new signings a little bit more. And then, as I say, anything is possible. I mean, it would be naive to write off Chelsea, 
especially given the fact that this is a club that has thrived amid chaos for the best part of 15 years. Um, so if Chelsea can navigate their way past Dortmund, which let's not pretend that's going to be easy, but if they can and they can get Kante back and they can get him playing well and they can keep Reese James fit and get these new signings up to speed, then who knows? I say stranger things have happened at Chelsea. Yeah, and I think Reese James, um, Graham Potter has yet to test defeat when he's been on the pitch. I think I saw yesterday he's Chilwell yeah. when he's when he's when Chilwell started. I don't think Chelsea have been, been beaten under Graham Potter. So there's lots of lots of positives we, to draw. We out, have I think. to caveat there's quite a small sample size. To be fair, like, yeah, it, it all counts. <laughs> you've got you've got to look for the light. I know, you? I know you're looking for yeah silver linings, but you know that is a small sample size. But as you say. You add Reese James into this team; it's a very different team. You bring Ben Chilwell back; you have that dynamic. You have and it that. happened with Thomas Tuchel last year as well, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. You you, you see the difference that those two make. Um, and I guess the wild card in all this, and and you mentioned him quite briefly, Bobby, is Joao Felix. Um, this is a guy who's going to be here in theory until the summer. Um, who has from everyone I speak to around Cobham, who has settled in really, really quickly. He's really, you know, integrated himself well to the group. He's really well-liked. His talent is obvious. I mean, you saw it in that 55 minutes against Fulham. Um, maybe not the tackling, but everything else is there. Um, he'll be back at the weekend. And there's this feeling around João Felix that he's going to be the guy who knits it all together, which, you know, may be too much pressure on him, maybe too much expectation, but if he can be the guy who knits it together because he did play very well with Kai Havertz, Mason Mount looked a bit more sprightly with, with Felix in the team. Obviously people like Mudrick and, and Madueke are coming in Enzo Fernandez. You'd like to think that him and Felix will be on similar wavelengths in terms of their quality and understanding. There's a lot of, of, of momentum building behind Jao Felix. Now look, let's, let's hope he plays well against West Ham. He doesn't get injured. He doesn't get sent off again. Um, and you can take that going forward into the Borussia Dortmund game. Um, and he, he say, I, I've spoke uh, as a piece coming out uh, today. I'm not quite sure when this podcast will release, but uh, as, as as it goes, as we're recording, I'll have a piece out today around Jao Felix. And I was speaking to a friend of mine, Tom Warner, who uh, used to has been in, based in Madrid for five years and saw a lot of Jao Felix. And he basically said to me that Jao Felix is at his best when he has a point to prove, and. Coming to Chelsea, leaving that environment, Atletico, he's not going to have a bigger point to prove to people than right now. Um, so if Chelsea can maximise that and harness that and, and utilise him during the second half of the season and look, he made it into the the Hunger Games style who will make the Champions League squad, he got through that. Um, who knows? Who knows? But I say there's, there's a lot of expectation that he'll be the sort of missing link that Chelsea needed in that final third. And and if he is, then maybe it unlocks something that makes Chelsea very special over the next two, three months. Yeah. So looking at these glimmers of hope, I think even with Felix, I think he had more shots on target himself against Fulham than what Chelsea have managed in the games following and the games before. So that that is going to be a promising start. But Chelsea unbeaten in three games now is it uh win over crystal palace and then two draws against liverpool and fulham and then three clean sheets in a row you really yeah. are just looking deep for that yeah unbeaten in three games yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and then come to take on a west ham side who have probably struggled even more than chelsea this season um but they themselves come into the game off the back of a draw with newcastle perhaps starting to 
pick things up a little bit under David Moyes. Um, what are you expecting from the game, Bobby? And I guess from what we've just said, we're probably all expecting Felix to come straight back into that Chelsea eleven. How how will Potter look to accommodate him? Yeah, well, they're a weird one, West Ham, because uh, even though they haven't done very well this season, I still, every time I watch them play, I expect them to just sort of, you know, snap out of it and be good again, because we, we know they are good when they're when they're good, they're really good, and they, they can cause any team in the league problems. That they have sort of become that under David Moyes, who's done a great job there. Um, they got some fantastic players, not least Declan Rice, who we've already spoken about. Um, but yeah, so away at the London Stadium, um, you'd like to think West Ham fans would be up for it, and you know a London derby against Chelsea, there'll be a hostile atmosphere. And Saturday, twelve thirty, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a good game. Um, I think it'll be a difficult one for Chelsea. I mean. Yeah, like you said, I, th- I think Felix does come back into the side. I think when you when you look how quickly he came into the side for his debut against Fulham, it was like just over 24 hours after he was announced as a Chelsea player, I think. So Potter wanted to use him straight away and he would have been gutted that he hasn't been able to use him for the last three games. So I'd imagine he comes straight back into the side. Adam touched on it, but I think what he his link-up play with Havertz and Mount, I think, he made them look better than what we've seen this season. I don't have us look very good that game at Craven Cottage um, and Mount did look better than he has done. So I think that's an encouraging thing. I think Felix is that sort of player. I think we almost don't know what sort of position he'll be for Chelsea yet, but he's someone who likes to um, come deep and get the ball and dribble with it. And I think those little link-ups he can do, hopefully again with Chelsea's new, newer sign-ins in, um, Madueke, Mudrick and Fernandez. I think that's something that could be really important for Chelsea and I, I fully expect him to start on uh, Saturday. He's, he's obviously been training with the team while he's been suspended so his fitness shouldn't be an issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, guessing Chelsea's attacking line for the game is an almost impossible job, you think, because you got Ziyech who obviously Chelsea were open to letting go and almost did leave to go to PSG. Um, but he has, to be fair to him, he has played well since he's come back for the World Cup. He's looked a lot better. Um, and then you got Mudrick, who has been feeling unwell and came off at halftime against Fulham last week. And then you got Madueke, you got Felix, you got Havertz, you got Mount. There's just an endless amount of attackers at the moment. So trying to guess it would be difficult. But if I if I was to guess, I, I would say Felix would play. I'd like to see him either alongside Havertz or just behind him in like a 4-2-3-1. Um, I think that would be good because I do think Havertz, like I said, I think he benefits from someone linking up with him. Sometimes he looks too isolated and whenever he does touch the ball, he hasn't got the bodies around him and they can make him sloppy in possession and a frustrating player to watch. So I think if you have a little sort of live wire like Felix around him, that could ben- that could definitely benefit both of them. So I'd like to see that. And then I think against West Ham... I think Chelsea had like something like almost 70% of the ball against Fulham at home. So I think that that's to be expected. Um, but against West Ham away, they'll probably still have more of the ball, but you think West Ham would have more than Fulham did. So there, there will be more opportunities for Chelsea to hit them on the break, being away from home. And I think having someone like Madueke instead of Ziyech offers you a lot more speed um, and directness on the counter-attack. And then having Mudrick on the other side, I think could be really good as well. So 
it might make it sound so simple, and I know it's not, but um, that front four, that front four with Felix Havertz and both the new wingers, I think I think that'll be a very very exciting one to watch. And with Enzo Fernandez and another midfielder just behind them, I think I think at the moment you're looking at uh, one of Chelsea's many versions of their best attack. And what are you expecting, Adam? Is it is it a need three points this weekend? Uh, it's always need three points, um, especially the position Chelsea are in. Um, yeah, look, they have a pretty poor record at the London Stadium, um, historically Chelsea. So they are going to have to overcome that. Um, I think they've only won twice there since West Ham moved. So that's something that they're going to have to to sort of overcome. Um, I think Joao Felix will start. I think you look at the difficulties Chelsea had in the final third against Fulham. You need, you need that invention, that link player there. Whether or not Mudrick starts, I'm not sure. You know, Chelsea's still trying to build up his minutes. He was ill, supposedly, against Fulham um, and only made 45. So they're going to want to try and build him up whether or not that means he starts on the bench. Um, and, and, you know, he did well off the bench against Liverpool, actually. Uh, he was a very good uh, impact player in that game because of his pace and his freshness. Um, I'd quite like to see Nani Madueke start because I thought he brought something to the Chelsea attack against Fulham when he came on. Much more direct, I think, willing to take the ball and, and come inside off the right onto his left foot. Um I'd like to see that explored a bit more. Um, and then, as you say, who who then do you play behind? I mean, you know, personally, I, I'd, I'd let Mason Mount sit this one out. Um, I don't think he's in great form. I don't think he has been most of the season. Not sure constantly playing him and playing him. And I, like, I can understand the rationale of play him back into form, give him that opportunity, but that hasn't happened. So, you know, I think it's fair enough to take him out of the side for, for a couple of games. Enzo Fernandez will start, of course. Um and who plays alongside him, I'm not sure, maybe Matteo Kovacic if he's fit. What intrigues me is probably more what happens in defence, because you have this decision to make over Reese James. Do you want to play Reese James um, against West Ham when you have Dortmund to come? Do you have do you have uh do you have Trevor Chalaber come into that position? I mean, do you do you risk Tiago Silva? Do you want to play um somebody uh instead of Thiago to give him that break so yeah there's some big big decisions to come I think and you know we know probably Ben Wabadishu will start because he isn't in the Champions League squad yeah and I guess on that point we will move across to the Champions League and of course Chelsea take on Borussia Dortmund at the beginning of the knockout rounds after a bit of a tumultuous group stage that began um with disappointment under Thomas Tuchel. And then we saw, obviously, those great performances against AC Milan. A uh, bit of a surprise in the final game of the group stage to not see more rotation and more youngsters handed opportunities. And obviously, we've got that Chilwell injury right at the death. But an opportunity for Chelsea to, you know, get some momentum and have some positivity around if they can get uh, a good result in Dortmund. And Adam, you'll be travelling out there. But there's a group of players who won't be. Um, Aubameyang obviously is the one to miss out who was already in the squad at the start of the season, but then we've obviously got Madweke, Badiashil, as you noted there, won't be travelling. Um, what did you make of that of that squad selection and what difficulties might arise for Graham Potter because of it? I think 
the decision and apologies for the drilling going on in the background. I think the decision uh, to take Pierre Emerick Aubameyang out of the squad was quite a brave one. Um, I think it's clear that Graham Potter doesn't quite see Aubameyang as the ideal fit for his team. I don't think he started a game since November. He hasn't really had an impact. I mean, his last goal was against Milan at San Siro, ironically, in the Champions League. Um, so it was an, it was a big call because Aubameyang is, is an experienced player and, and having to take someone like that out of your squad is always going to be controversial and a massive talking point. I think, I mean, the three players that that have ended up in, in the squad in terms of Enzo and Mudrik and, and Jao Felix, I, I want to say uh, the, probably the common consensus that everyone would have come to. I mean, if you'd gone with, with Benoit Badishiel over, over Jao Felix, I mean, I wouldn't have argued with that at all because he has really played well and formed a very good partnership alongside Thiago Silva, which Graham Potter is going to have to break up for that Dortmund game. And that is far from ideal. And, and it goes back to... to what I was saying a second ago is how do you fit that in against West Ham? Because you either want to give Trev Chalabas some minutes or you want to give Khaled Koulibaly some minutes. So they're going into that Dortmund game with uh, with some minutes behind them. And and that is something that Graham Potter is going to have to play off the rest of uh, the rest of the season, basically. As long as Chelsea in the Champions League, he's going to have to make changes. So um, so there were big decisions. They were were interesting decisions, and and they are decisions that Graham Potter is going to probably have to continually manage the repercussions of going forward. Because let's say best case scenario, and Chelsea get through to Champions League quarterfinals, semi-finals, you know this full well. It's going to be tough for people like Noni Madueke, for Ben Wabadia Shield to be watching those games rather than playing in them. Um, and as I said, to balance the squad out. To make sure, like you know, say Noni Madueke goes and plays five brilliant games, and then you've got to drop him for a Champions League game. That in itself is a challenge because you want to keep a settled team and players playing well. So, so yeah, not easy, but an inevitable consequence of of bringing in so many players in January. And and do you think he chose the right players, uh, Bobby? Obviously, Fafana's coming back to the team as well. I think, like Adam said, that so many sort of talented players been brought in, it doesn't really matter who you left out. There's always going to be one or two players you're looking at thinking, oh, is that fair? Um, I think with Badia Shield, I don't think many Chelsea fans, uh, probably the club itself, maybe expected him to have played as much um, over the last few games as he has. Um, I think the form of Koulibaly sort of forced Potter to bring in bring him into the team, the new left-footed centre-back. Um, and yeah, like Adam says, he's he's done brilliantly. He's, he, him and Thiago Silva look like they've got something quite special there. And without, um, I don't want to put too much pressure on it, but it, it looks like it's become a really good partnership and one that we hopefully see for the remainder of the season in the Premier League and next season as well if uh, Thiago decides to um, extend his contract. So yeah, with Badia Shield, it, it's not necessarily a surprise. It it certainly shocked me more than it would have done a month ago because. Like I said, I don't. I don't think I definitely didn't expect Badia Shield to have played as much as he has done. With Aubameyang, I think it was like Adam said, brave but inevitable. Potter doesn't fancy him for whatever reason. We don't. We don't know the ins and outs, but it's clear to see he, he he's barely played at all. And when he has, he hasn't. He hasn't looked good essentially. Um, so it, he hasn't been able to. Prove Potter wrong in that regard, and 
I think his future is clear to see now. It, he's he's going to be leaving in the summer, it looks like, if not before. So um, he doesn't look to have a long-term future at Chelsea. I think it's been spoken about a lot. I think as soon as Tuchel left, a lot of people questioned it because it was clearly a Tuchel signing. They've, they've worked together and had such success in the past that there might have been something there if he had stayed, but he didn't and he moved on. And I think Aubameyang will do the same in the summer. So it's not a surprise in that regard. Um, yeah, and, you know, the likes of Madueke, I think it's just unfortunate for him that Chelsea have got just this unbelievable amount of players at the moment because I'm sure Potter would have loved to include him in the squad. But it will be interesting because, like, like um, Adam said, it, if these players, these players who aren't in the squad, if they continue to play well, if Badia Shield continues to um, be really good alongside Silver in the Premier League, then it, it's gonna it's gonna be difficult for Potter. Well, not difficult because he has no choice, but it's it's difficult to see because he might he might want to want it to be called upon him in the latter stages of a competition should Chelsea get there. And but it it's good because I mean you you'll get to see players get chance like different players get chances you know the likes of Pulisic when he returns might get a chance now where whereas he might not have if Madueke was there um stuff like that so yeah it's an interesting one and to be honest I can't wait for the I can't wait for the Dortmund game next week it feels like so long that we haven't had Champions League because of the World Cup and everything that's gone on so I'm really looking forward to it good to hear and I guess to be a little bit cruel, but you can be as vague as you like. Um, and we'll start with you, Bobby. What What are your predictions for these next two games? For the West Ham and Dortmund. Yeah. Um, God, I'm going to have to be positive. Uh, West Ham, I, I, I'd say Chelsea win. Like a low-scoring game, I reckon 1-0. Um, I, I think Chelsea have looked good defensively recently. And I think this this will be a um, one of the... A harder test test in recent games, obviously apart from away at Liverpool. But yeah, I think I think if Chelsea can keep a clean sheet there, I think with the attacking players they do have on the pitch, I think they will score. I know I know it didn't quite happen against Fulham, but I think with an extra bit of training and um, the way the game will be set up, I think Chelsea will have more space than they did against Fulham. So I think they I think they will score. Yeah, so I'm going to go one 0 there. Dortmund one. Oh, away from home is difficult. We all know that it's it's a really really loud stadium and one one that players over the years have said is one of the most sort of intimidating atmospheres in Europe. So Dortmund fans will be well up for that. You know, Chelsea are a massive European club. They'll be really up for that. So I think if Chelsea come out with a draw from that game, I think that is really good. I think I'll take back to Stamford Bridge if they can get an away goal, obviously as well. And that will really help. So I'm gonna go for a one all draw in Dortmund, and then just to add a bit further, Chelsea to beat them at Stamford Bridge. Cool. And what are you expecting, Adam? And I guess because you are fortunate enough to make the trip out there, how much are you looking forward to experience in that stadium as well? My predictions are draw against West Ham, win in Dortmund. Um, just, just to be different to me. Partly. Um, <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, Traveling out on, on Tuesday, um, Valentine's Day, which my wife is delighted with. But um, no, it will be a good trip. It will be really fantastic to experience the uh, the stadium and the atmosphere. Um, 
obviously Chelsea have to to, to sort of navigate Dortmund and, and it won't be easy and, and you know Jude Bellingham is is obviously you know the key man for Dortmund now he, he's very much taken ownership of that team um but I just think the way Dortmund play they're not going to you know Chelsea have always struggled when they've come up against low blocks who sit back and frustrate them and, and restrict space I don't think Dortmund would do that I think Dortmund will play their football they will they will leave gaps and it's on Chelsea to exploit those gaps and say so if they can, then I, I I think they are capable of getting result out there. So yes, it's probably a bit early in terms of the evolution of the entire team and, and where they're going under Potter, but I kind of am using the, the Salzburg game and, and I appreciate Dortmund are, are a better team than, than Salzburg, but I'm kind of using that as my reference point for this prediction in that Salzburg were a team that tried to play their own football and implement it and 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 that left a lot of space for Chelsea um and Chelsea exploited that very well albeit they didn't necessarily take all the chances they created in Salzburg which is is the constant issue but um but it should be a fantastic game and I'm really looking forward to it and, I, and you know I'm very fortunate that I'll be at the stadium uh, covering it for football London I think it sorry Scott I think it'd be a really big statement for Potter as well if he was to win in Dortmund because um you know those are people question him and yeah unless i'm mistaken i can't think of one he hasn't really had that big win yet where it's against a big club maybe away from home um especially in europe i know he obviously beat milan but that was a milan side that like adam said have been struggling this season so i think if they could be go to dortmund one of the toughest places to go to and if potter could get a win there i think that would be a real statement a real confidence boost for him as well because you know, his credentials have been massively questioned. He, this is his first time managing in the Champions League season. Um, so if he can go to Dortmund and, you know, silence the yellow wall, I think that would be really big for him going forward and Chelsea. Yeah, for sure. And we have, what, less than a week now to find out how Chelsea do get on in both of those games. And it will be a big step forward for Graham Potter if they can get positive results in both of them, of course. Um, if you got this far, thanks for joining us for our first episode of A View from the Bridge. Um, if you've liked what you've heard, leave leave a rating. That'll, that'll go down very well. Um, make sure you subscribe. If you weren't so keen, feel free not to. Um, that'd be fine. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you to you, Adam and Bobby, as well. And we'll catch you again next week. <laughs>